Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. I'm really excited about sharing this episode with you guys. This is part two, though, of Jen's story. So if you missed last week, don't start here. You won't completely understand what's going on, so you need to go back one episode and listen to that one first. Today, Jen is talking about, I wish I could say the second half of her story, but oh my goodness, that woman, her story has like 500 different layers. I don't know which layer we're talking about today, but we're talking about a really big, important layer. Today, we are talking about the decision that I, I can't even imagine making. I applaud Jen for having this conversation with us, and I applaud her for doing what was best for her family. So today, we're talking about the decision that she and her husband had to make about putting their son Silas into a facility where he lives now. It's a really, really, really great episode, and I'm so thankful that she was willing to have this conversation with us because I feel like it's a conversation that there is so much stigma behind because, you know, mom guilt is real. Trauma is real. Grief is real. All of this stuff, it's heavy, and it's sucky, and it's scary, and it's, did I say heavy? Because it's really, really heavy. But to make the decision that was best for your entire family, to put your son in a facility that has brought him so many more blessings. I want to preface this episode with the fact that we know this isn't for everybody, but it's also very important, I think, for our community to have conversations like this because it just depends on your family. And in this case, it has been an absolute blessing for Jen's family. At this point in your story, you are adjusting to being a medical mom. You are balancing homeschooling your daughter or sending her to school. You are taking care of the older kids. You are taking care of Silas, who has a trach and has a lot of needs. And and you're doing okay for a while. I was doing okay for a while. But it's it's, you know, I've had a decade of trauma and tragedy. Carter died in 2007. And then, you know, miscarriages, two preemies, a four-month-long hospital stay, and then frequent flyers into CHKD. And it, it was just so much on my body. And we as moms, we do what we have to do. But 
I was wearing down in. I wrote this down because I was talking to a friend of mine who saw me through a lot of that. And she said to me, because, you know, seeing in retrospect, she remembers thinking, Lord, how is this going to end? Because my friend can't sustain this level any longer. Her physical body couldn't contain it much longer. But again, as moms, we do what we have to do, right? And I, I, I would keep doing what I have to do. But here's, here's the way it kind of all shook out. Home health, while it was an absolute blessing, the system is not, does not match what we as medical moms go through. And this is my theory. Medical technology has exponentially shot up, right? And so, you know, 20 years ago, Silas would have died. But medical technology kept him alive. And so medical technology has shot up but the social support programs for keeping our kids in our homes has not caught up. And being able to do that, it, the system is broken. Home health, while I'm incredibly grateful, even my nurses would have emergencies and they couldn't fill them. I could not function without that 16 hours a day. And it was brutal if I didn't get it. You're able to say how you feel about home health. In hindsight, we can see the system is broken. But when you're it's knee totally deep broken. in it and you're drowning... At some point, you're managing and you're floating and you're doing okay, but at some point, you start sinking. And oh goodness, yes. to the mom who's listening right now, who could be in the same predicament, how are you feeling? Every time that I saw the home health agency on caller ID, I would have an adrenaline rush because I thought they were calling me to tell me that I had a call out. Yeah. Whether it was my mom's 70th birthday, whether it was my, my daughter's birthday, whatever it was, it wasn't reliable. Whether it was just a night where you needed sleep. Exactly. We would have to change heaven and earth mm -hmm. because you cannot pick up a child with a trach and a G-tube and walk out the door. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And while I can take him with me some places, it was just a big deal. But again, I was really, I was really convicted that I would do it. You know what I mean? But here's, here's what happened. Little by little, we started losing supports. The hospice agency, you know, he was stable now. So he was discharged and they were incredibly helpful. The physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech therapist, those therapies bit by bit started to decrease and dwindle. For people who are listening that don't know, uh -huh. a lot of times when kids are not progressing, yes, they will cut back on services for yep. things like PT, OT, and ST. And as a mom, you want to say, but my kid isn't progressing. Let's keep trying. But the way the system's set up is that your kid isn't progressing with these specific therapies. So we need to cut back. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a double-edged sword. So I want people who are not medical moms. I want the grandmas to understand yes. why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And from a mother's perspective, not only is it therapy and helpful and for progression, but it's also an activity for these kids that don't yes. have anything else to do. Nothing yes. else to do except stare at you all day. I mean, that, not literally, but you no, know. mine does. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> mine literally just stares at me. To fill your day a little bit because. Absolutely. You can't. I know, I know, Susan, you can't really take your kids out of the home. And to try and get Silas out of the home, you literally had to move heaven and heaven earth. earth. So yes. not only is it good for these kids, but it's also good for our mental health. Because Absolutely. 
that mm-hmm. someone else is actually helping carry the load yes. of interacting with your child. Yeah. Because for some kids, if you're happy and you know it, like not you, right. you yes. know, like it's, it's five minutes of someone else going, Hey, right. Lorelai, let's work on your blocks. Like, uh-huh. sure. She isn't getting better. My kid has a progressive disease and she isn't going to get better. She isn't going to do more skills, but it's not a place to necessarily stop because I need that support. Absolutely. And I'm going to interject like with Sailor right now, we had one therapist tell us if you don't nip this type of behavior in the bud, like she will be a 13 year old girl. Just remember that, right? Like she has a personality. She is as feisty, if not feistier than all of my other kids. And when you put in that much emotional, physical energy all day long to your child, you don't really have the energy to then also parent them to make them, right. <laughs> you know, a socially right. appropriate right. member of society, right? Okay. And so sometimes you do, you give in, you're like, do whatever's easiest. Fine. It's too hard to get you on the potty because not only is it physically hard, but it's you scream at me. So I'm not going to put you on the potty every two hours or whatever it is. But just to give a little insight into why we need that extra help. Absolutely. And no matter what help you have, those people, they can put that energy in and then go home. Right. Where you still are on the clock. Right. All day and all night. Yes. Yes. And I'm so, at the point, I, I feel like I should interject too, as long as we're all just <laughs> chit-chatting, but I'm at the point where Lorelai is sleeping in my bed every single night. 24 hours a day, this tiny human is touching me. Mm-hmm. Like, stop touching me. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it just, I wish I could walk away for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a level of, how am I going to do this? And so you had older children Mm-hmm. And you had Silas who needed so much care and your your support system is starting to drop. And I know you have a very strong community with your church. Was your church support still there or were they kind of like, and I'm kind of asking for myself because I'm worried that people are going to be like, Susan has two special needs medical kids and we can give her love and support now, but am I really going to be wanting to do that for the next decade? Did people stick around for you? So emotionally, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this was, he was at home for four and a half years. So that's a good long while. And, you know, I mean, I eventually started making dinners again. When Chick-fil-A stopped dropping off sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) Rude. (laughs) French fries are my love language, Chick-fil-A, if you're listening. (laughs) So I believe this. I believe I had four kids. And I believe you take it year by year, child by child, whether it's nursing, whether it's schooling, whether it's the style you choose to parent. And for special needs moms, we do the same thing. And I think that there's not one right decision for every special needs family, right? And every unique family has its own challenges, has its own needs, has its own quirks. But for us... I was getting to the point where my body was just exhausted. I was running on adrenaline after a decade of trauma, after everything I had been through. And then the therapy started quitting. You know, it was, he was only getting an hour a day of school in my home, whereas any other special needs kids, 
most special needs kids should be able to get all day long, like every other kid, right? But I was only getting an hour a day because he can't really go to school. And so a new physical therapist had come in and she ended up discharging him. She was talking to the other occupational therapist. And then I got a call one day from the occupational therapist and no, I got a voicemail and she discharged him on voicemail. And I don't know if you, I mean, you can edit this if you want, or you can leave it, whatever you want to do. But I was infuriated. I was infuriated that she did not have the decency to talk to me about it. She just discharged him little bit by little bit. And then left you a voicemail and said, I'm not coming back. Yes. I was infuriated. So backing up, like, oh, I know what it was. It was a snowstorm in the spring of 2015 where snowstorm, you're not not necessarily going to get home health, right? This isn't Minnesota. But- this is Virginia. <laughs> if, we get, if we get an I inch mean, of snow, how much snow are we talking about? <laughs> We're talking maybe quarter of an inch. No. But home health nurses in Virginia won't travel <laughs> in the snowstorm in Virginia. And so he, I, was, I was panicked because, again, snowstorm or not, I still need to sleep. And it was just such a toll on our family. And there's and other tried- stressors to like snowstorm. Are we going to lose power? Is this train right, going to run? Exactly. Like, I mean, yes. it, you need the help. Uh huh. And he needs electricity to live because he needs mm-hmm. electricity to run his G2. Mm-hmm. He needs electricity to be able to suction his trach, you know, all of that. So there was a young lady who lived, I think in Gloucester and she came over to stay the weekend with us and she helped out. That was really a godsend. But somewhere in that time period, someone suggested, hey, I have a friend and her son is in St. Mary's home. Do you want me to connect her with you? And now, mind you, I'd heard about St. Mary's home before. And I was like, never. In the very beginning, my husband was like, I would quit work to take, to quit work and stay home to take care of my son. And so you had heard of this facility Uh for people who are not local, St. Mary's. Tell us what St. Mary's is. St. Mary's is a home for disabled children. It's a hundred bed facility. 88 of them are for children. The other 12 are for adults. So those adults that are there in the Albero wing or in the Albero house, they are there for good. They're there for life. Um, But the children in the four different units of the children's wing, you know, they have them there from zero to 22. As a local, I had heard about St. Mary's uh-huh. and I think there are a lot of misconceptions Absolutely. about what a facility, whether it's St. Mary's or anywhere, you know, is it people who's, who left their kids to the state? Uh-huh. Is it, you know, and there are and, some. but you have this misconception, I think. Um, and before we really get into this, I want to say to the listeners that everybody manages things in different ways. Mm -hmm. And what is right for some may not be right for others. Absolutely. I have been very cautious in my journey because I knew you. Mm -hmm. You and I were connected very early when I was in the NICU, I believe. Was it before you brought Lorelai home? It may have been like right as I brought her home and I was looking for a nurse. I think that that's when we were connected. But I, because of you and your story, I've been very cautious to, in my mind, I think I'm never going to send my kid to live in a, in a facility, Mm -hmm. but I will never say that because I don't know what my future looks like. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I hope the place I'm at right now, that that is not something that I have to do. But there's nothing wrong with you having to do that where you are in your journey. And I also feel like where I am today could be very different from where I am tomorrow. And I think all of us need to give ourselves grace in this crazy journey. Absolutely. So you... You had heard of St. Mary's, but like, uh-huh. was it something that ever swirled in your head other than not I'm not really. doing that? Not really. Not until, not until he'd been brain damaged for about four years. Okay. That I did. I even start to consider it. And I really considered it out of desperation, not only desperation for our family and my physical health, but desperation out of everything my kid was losing. Can I pause there? Yes. I uh-huh. also want to add to you, Susan, a... I have the utmost empathy for you that you are put in a position to have to make this choice because I think I want all of our listeners to know, I mean, I am sure they know that this is not an easy choice and be thank you for being brave enough to talk about this because ultimately we're doing what's, we are trying to choose and make the best decisions for our children. And it may not be the decision that feels right, right or comfortable. It was the hardest right decision I've ever made, Mm -hmm. but it was absolutely brutal. Like, like I couldn't, when I started considering it, it was, like I said, out of desperation for my family, my physical body and everything my kid was losing. Did you feel bad when you started? Like, did you feel guilty? Absolutely. There's so much stigma over that. Absolutely. And so you know, I, I started to talk to doctors, physical therapists, nurses, you know, because a medical mom, you're always in contact That's with who somebody. we talk to. Weekly, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and friends, my friends. And I got positive from everywhere I turned. Oh, St. Mary's is wonderful. Um, I had somebody say, I've watched parents struggle and struggle to keep their kids at home. When they finally put them in St. Mary's, they're happier and their kids are happier. And St. Mary's gets them to do things they never thought the kids would do. And again, I want to preemphasize this. This is not the right decision for everyone, but it was the right decision for me. But I hadn't come to that decision yet, but I was getting more and more information, you know, talking to nurses who've worked there, talking to doctors, talking to, you know, my friends, my friends, not a single one of my friends were like, gave me a red flag at all. They were all in support of it. And that was important to me. How was the conversation evolving with your husband? If he was so resistant in the beginning, like I would do anything. He was no longer resistant because it was a struggle. Because he was watching you just. he watched me. Yes, absolutely. And he was completely in completely supportive. Like he would do the nights, but I mean, he couldn't necessarily go to work right on time, you know, if he did the night overnight, but he certainly was considering it. And I think the more that I told him positive things, because it was kind of like, and here's, and I do want to say this, not every facility that has disabled children is a good facility. So if, you know, and, and I'm sure that this podcast will be reaching everywhere. It's not just the 757, but, you know, I think that there are good places where we can where we can place our loved ones and there's not, there's not so good places. So I think it's really important. And that's why you did your research. And were you able to go visit it prior to like, how was the first time you walked in there? What did you feel? What was it like? So snowstorm was in February. Um, I started talking to medical personnel in around in April 
and the, then the therapy started dropping and then it was in July and then I got connected with a mom at St. Mary's and there was no openings at St. Mary's at that point. So here's, here's a defining moment. It was July in the middle of July and the occupational therapist had called and left a voicemail that she was completely discharging Silas from the program. I was furious within 20 minutes a friend, my friend that I had met, the St. Mary's mom, messaged me and she said, I think there's going to be an opening hmm. for Silas or, or an opening in St. Mary's in the fall. God and his angels were working. Yes. And I had actually started to fill out the paperwork, but I, it was like I had to disconnect my head from my heart because mm-hmm. it was absolutely ludicrous to me that I was even considering it. I was like, there's no way. And it was like, I could. I mean, I just couldn't even believe I was doing it. So I had to like disassociate from the process to actually start to fill out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So, so I had done that in like April. And so this was July. So she, she messaged me, said that there was a spot possibly in the fall. I called my husband home from work and um, he came home, sat with Silas. And I drove the 45 minutes across the bridge to go check them out. And... Um, I pulled in and I looked at that sign. I still have the the sign. I took a picture of the sign and I pulled in and I went for a tour with the social worker and I couldn't stop crying because of all of the love and the beauty I saw all over the walls. But there's also the beauty I see all over the walls and there's also what on earth am I doing? Like, how am I even vaguely considering this? You know? And so I got home that day and I finished filling out the paperwork and um, I didn't, I wasn't like broadcasting it, but I did share with my friends, you know? And um, so, you know, fast forward a few months and it was October, I think when they finally had the spot and it was during Joaquin, Hurricane Joaquin. (laughs) And, um, so it was like, Diane, can you tell, like, we, we base things off of like snowstorms and and hurricanes and like, it's really not much different up here. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, we had a date and I remember the night before, Oh, the night night before, before, the night before he, Oh, how did, Oh, I'd be like snuggling my baby in my bed. Like what did you do? I took a picture of him and I don't take pictures of me crying. But I took a picture of me crying holding him because <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't believe I was doing it. But I felt like I had no other choice at that point. And so we had to be there like bright and early at like 7 a.m. that morning. So we didn't get a whole lot of sleep. But I we walked in and we wheeled him back to his bed. And I got ready to pick him up like I always do. Um, and they stopped me and they said, here let us do that for you. So literally and figuratively, they are now helping me carry my son. And it was like, it was a, it was a defining moment, that moment for them picking him up and putting him in his bed for me. And there were two of them. It wasn't just me. And at that point he was getting heavier and heavier. And I had pinched a nerve in my neck that spring. And so like, I couldn't even, carry him if I wanted to some of the the springtime that day like 
did it feel like, and I don't want to minimize this, but did it feel like you were sending him to college? Yes. Yes. A friend of mine analyzed that. It was like, you know, it was like boarding school, you know, like he's going away to boarding school. You sent him to Switzerland. (laughs) How did you feel when you had to leave that day? Oh, that was brutal. That was brutal. And I was back there, you know, several times that week. Um, and there were, there were growing pains like between St. Mary's and us because I was a very involved, intense medical mom and I wanted it done a certain way. And so, you know, I, they had to learn Silas. They had to learn his cues. They had to learn his signs. Um, and you had to learn them. Yes. And I, you had to give up control. Like I did. I feel like, I feel like we need to stress that you're not just having someone take care of your child. You are giving up a lot of uh-huh. control. Uh-huh. So like you're they not wouldn't just- let me suction. They would not let me suction him until I was trained. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can suction with my eyes closed. <laughs> so that was a, that getting over control. That was tough because I wanted it done a certain way. Always did. Like I said, there was growing pains for them and for us. But, you know, after they finally learned him and after we got into a rhythm, I was able to actually step back and realize some of the things that I had been absolutely OCD over wasn't necessary. Like I was, but I couldn't see it when I was at home in the weeds, you know, but I was actually able to step back and I didn't have full control and they did. And Silas was just fine. And so the friend I told you that I got in contact with, who was the one who told me that there was a place for him in the fall, she, her son, within a first year of being at St. Mary's, he used an assistive communication device. And at 15 years old, he was able to tell his mom, I love you for the very first time. And we lost Diane. (laughs) Well, okay. So if I can get this out. I have listened to this and I just feel like having the support. I mean, these kids come to us and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want to believe that they know fully what they're taking on when they come down to this earth. And they're that amazing of human beings, much, much greater than I am. Right. And we, as moms, want to just cover them. We just do. We just go. We Uh care. And then God makes St. Mary's because those people are angels caring for your child. And I feel like as hard as it is to create that independence from your child, that would be a natural progression in their life at that age. Mm, Good point. And you have now starting to create that independence from your child, kind of like allowing these angels or these other beings that were created to help our kids. You're experiencing things that you can't or your friend was. Like her son had the ability because he was able to get out of this stress, not stressful environment. I don't want to say that, but this environment where we are doing, giving everything we can and we don't have room to just be their mom, you know? Exactly. And now she hears, I love you, mom. And I, yes. to me, that just is like, I don't, I don't, I don't even have the words to describe it. It's like the most beautiful thing. And it's just so incredible that these people devote their lives to caring for, yes. you know, your child. They are, they are a beautiful place. And, you know, 
Silas, when he moved, when he moved into St. Mary's, you remember he only had an hour a day of school. He now had eight hours a day of school. They have school inside the building. So the teachers come there. And so they wheel him down. And, and his teacher, his teacher for the first five years he was there was amazing. Absolutely amazing. He got all of his therapies back times two because he has occupational therapy and physical therapy with St. Mary's and with his school. And he got recreational therapy. They call it rec therapy. So they like, you know, uh, once or twice a week, they go do fun things. Like they'll do, they do this therapy on the air mattress. There's a particular name for it, but it's some kind of vestibular stimulation. And they do field trips out in the community. They have organized, they organize field trips just for me and him just so that I can go with him. Like tailor the field trip. They'll tailor a field trip over so on this side of the water. You can be mom with yes. him. And that is key. When I, when I made that transition and it was, and it was not like a, a, you know, the day he moved in, I was no longer, I was no longer nurse, but it enabled me to finally step back and finally to be just mom. I remember there was one particular time I'm, I'm, I'm a hands-on mom. And so I always get in his bed at St. Mary's and I snuggle with him and I hold him in his bed. So I remember I was in his bed and I was snuggling with him and right behind me, there was a respiratory therapist training a nurse on all of his respiratory equipment. I cannot tell you how many times I have done that very thing. And that day, I just got to be a mom. And I didn't have to deal with all of the medical equipment. It was another one of those defining moments. I will be forever grateful. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. And like I said, we had growing pains. But it also enabled me to heal. Like, I didn't actually go back to work for three years. So basically, Silas was in St. Mary's. And I didn't go back to work. So I had like three years. But I'm st- I just want to I want you to know I'm still healing from all of that trauma and all of that tragedy. I'll just say right now, getting ready to do this podcast, like I've told my story a thousand times. I've told my story a thousand times without crying. And I printed out some things. I had 13 pages of a mops talk that I think I sent you. And I printed it out and I was reading and I was crying at my story. Like, I'm like, what is what is up with I'm still healing. And I think that our healing is a, is a lifelong process. Do you know what I mean? Because as the further away I get from all of the trauma and tragedy, I step back and I look at it because when you're in the middle of it, it's like, it's like you're literally in the weeds. And so, like I said, I'm still like, I'm reading, I'm processing. And I think, I think the biggest thing for me when I was going through all of that and I still am, is just having someone to process that out with. And I had so many I had so many friends that were able to just sit and listen to me do just that. And that was a valuable gift. Absolutely valuable. I just want to, I know this, this journey is not for everyone. And so I don't want anyone to feel put down, but speaking to you specifically, I want to applaud you and give you props for the sacrifice that you made for your family and your son. And I don't know. I mean, I hope you're told that often, but I can't imagine how hard that is. But just hearing the resources that he has and the life that he has Mm -hmm. and the ability that you are able, you know, the role that you're able to be in his life as mom is just incredible. So I hope that you're told that, that props to you because that sacrifice and that struggle I'm sure is, was just excruciating. It was, it was brutal. Like I said, it was disconnecting my head from my heart. And I also think I felt, I, I fought a lot of stigma. You know, yeah. because I think that, um, and I haven't fleshed this out 
exactly. But I feel like there's a lot of stigma with, you know, placing your child in a home. I did not abandon him. You know, that's not why I did that. I did it for many reasons and it was the right decision for me, but someone has to do their research and make sure it's a good place and a good fit. But Silas did not lose. He gained so much more. And that was very important to me. Did anyone ever say to you things like, why are you abandoning your son? Absolutely not. Or was it all in in your head? head. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was in the back of my head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I still feel that. Like, it just feels like, you know, oh, I took the easy way out. Well, you know what? It was actually the right, it was the only way for me and my family at this point in time. And, and, you know, as we said before, it's not the right decision for everybody, but it was the right one for us. And how did this affect Haley, seeing her brother move away? I mean, she had the older siblings moving out because they were late in high school. And her younger, one of her younger brothers died. And the other younger brother who's younger, shouldn't be going to live at college yet. Right, right. Did that affect her at all? Again, I think that she just took it all in stride. I remember I remember distinctly, I think it was the day after we had taken Silas to St. Mary's, and I was, it was either we were getting ready to go visit him or I'd just gone to visit him. And we were sitting on the stairs. We were just sitting at the top of the stairs, both of us, because daddy was at work. We're just, we're, we're, now we're like, what do we do with ourselves? And we're so used to hearing all the beeps downstairs and there were no beeps. And we kept hearing phantom beeps, <laughs> like, you know, that his oxygen monitor was going off, you know? And so it was, it was kind of a, it was a strange transition. It's kind of like, you know, when you, when you've been on a boat and you get off the boat and you still feel like you're rocking, you know, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like, it was just odd. It was like, what do we do with ourselves? It was very, it was very surreal. And it brought you guys a new sense of connection, I'm sure. You had to rediscover your daughter again because you weren't 24 hours a day taking care of Silas. Yes, but I do feel like I, and as a medical mom, you know, we, we work really hard for other kids. And honestly, that's, people ask me after my child died, how did you get up out of bed? It was for my other kids. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I got out of bed. And so I feel like even though Silas was here, I felt like when I had the time, I was 100% like I'm going to be, if if I'm like able to, I want to be fully involved with her because I didn't, I didn't want my other kids' lives to be marred any more than they already were. You know, they're already grieving their other brother. And then I, and then they're grieving their second brother in a whole different way because we lost him in a, mm-hmm. in a different way. So like I lost both boys, but in two different ways. It's very, it's very, it's a very unique story. I want to hug you so bad right now. (laughs) Do you ever, as a woman of faith, step back and go, okay, God, what's next? Honestly, you had a decade of trauma. How do you do this? I'm still scared of what's next (laughs) to tell you the truth. For so long, every couple of years, there was trauma or tragedy. And so there were points and times where I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Even before Silas got sick with HLH, I was waiting for that other shoe to drop. I didn't know that was going to be the shoe. But I believe in my God. I believe he is good and I believe he is with me. But the things that 
I have been through. I've not been spared. I've gone through. He's gone through them with me, but I don't want to go through anything hard again. You're like, like, I'm done. <laughs> I am done. Like, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm afraid of the next hard thing. Mm-hmm. Truthfully. I am not to the point now where I can say I have no fear of bad news. I'm not there yet. But, I, but will you ever be? Will we ever know. be? I mean, I don't know. When you go through something, I, I think sometimes I find it farther in the back of my head. Uh-huh. But it definitely creeps up. Uh-huh. You know, whether it's a trigger of the smell of the hospital and you're mm-hmm. brought back to that terrifying, just bring you to your knees moment. I mean, that I don't I don't know if for me that will ever go away. Right. But I think like ha- also having faith that allows you to keep moving forward in faith, right? Like I, I know that you have some mantras, like the struggle is part of your story. It's a part of everyone's story. Every single person that is walking this earth has faced some sort of struggle in their life. And to move with the struggle as part of the story or to to go in that direction, I feel like, you know, when I lost Carter and then I had Silas, because I'd lost Carter, there was such a richness of gratitude and treasure in Silas. I mean, yes, we treasure our children, but it was a different kind of treasure because I had lost Carter. And so I feel like I, I've always, I, I analyze the struggle as part of the story because the, the depth of the valley, if we didn't have the depth of the valley, we wouldn't have the beauty or we wouldn't understand the beauty of that mountaintop. Without the struggle, the struggle in the valley gives beauty and definition to the mountaintop. And I have another thing I live by. We don't get to make up most of our story. We get to make peace with it. And I think that that is so integral because, you know, in, you know, after having done all that, you know, like I have some anxiety. (laughs) I mean, I've had anxiety all my life, but it's a different level of anxiety, you know, being a medical mom. And so it's one of the things that I've learned in, in counseling, which I highly recommend for any and everybody, medical mom or not, is to lean in or to accept or surrender to whatever the hard thing is. And so that's a part of, you know, we don't get to make up most of our story. We get to make peace with it. And so you know, I feel like I learned that in some some area of my life and then I get into this other thing, which is like in my face and, and scary as all get out. And then I have to learn all those concepts in that next stage of my life. And I feel like that's all of our life, right? Like we're constantly moving on to something different and we have to learn all of the lessons that we learned in a different way. It's not easy. No, but I'm sitting here watching you talk with your hands so big, close your eyes and just I feel like you're trying to find the words to describe that gratitude that you feel after the struggle, after losing a child. And, you know, I'm kind of a visual person. And when you were talking about the valley and I saw your hands go down, like creating a valley, I thought, and therein lies the space for everything to flood in, like everybody Mm -hmm. to flood in, all the love, all the support in that valley to flood in and back to, I kind of feel bad for everybody that doesn't get to experience the depth of that love and fulfillment of all the beauty and support that does come when you have that huge valley 
sometimes crater, sometimes Grand Canyon. <laughs> right. I mean, watching Silas struggle to breathe. We breathe every day without without any kind of problem, right? I mean, some of us have asthma, but when I watch him struggle to breathe, I mean, it's things like that that I'm like, wow, the ability to breathe is a gift because everything is a gift. None of it's given. It's all a gift. Every meal, every prayer, every every friend that sat on my couch, every every person that came and watched Silas for two hours so I could go watch Haley's awards assembly, every every smile, every good day that Silas has, all of it, it's all a gift. And it's not given. And I found, I found myself, you know, when he smiles, it lights up my world, you know. But he doesn't have those smiley days all the time. Some days he struggles. Some days he's just kind of blank. So, you know, sometimes like I'll, I'll, I'll show up at St. Mary's and I'm really excited to be with him and he's asleep. Or he's just kind of blank, you know. And so those smiles are not givens. You know, they're, they're an absolute gift. How has COVID affected your life with your son being in St. Mary's? Like, has that affected? It's been hard, I'm sure. Yes, because I couldn't see him for five months. Yeah. Does he understand like FaceTime? You know, it's really hard to do FaceTime at St. Mary's because, and I think you'll understand this it ended up being really frustrating to FaceTime him because mm-hmm. number one, they would have to get him out of his bed, out of his comfy bed into his chair. And his chair is not always comfy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they would have to go to a different room and they, they would have to set it up and he may be asleep when we schedule to FaceTime mm-hmm. and he may not be feeling it. He may not be wanting to be on his chair. And mm-hmm. so going to St. Mary's, there's been, you know, because it's a facility and because there's rules to follow and I don't get to make the rules like I did at home, mm-hmm. it's kind of challenging. So that FaceTiming is not super great. But I can't imagine five months without being able to see my child. Right. How often when he started there, did you go see him to like how well, often it is now? It was like several times a week. And then it may have been three or four times a week. And then it was about two times a week, I'd go once on the weekend and once in the middle of the week. But then when I went back to work, it ended up being like once on the weekends. And did they set a time limit? So you weren't there sitting there all day? Before COVID? No, I could stay there as long as I want. Okay. Yep. I could be there anytime. And, and, you know, like visiting hours were like eight to eight or something like that. But I mean, there were times where I was there a little bit later because Haley was doing something and mm-hmm. I was in Norfolk with her. And so COVID, we still as parents cannot go back to the room which is stinky. Yeah. And I'm a hands-on mom. So like, I want to be able to hold him and he's, he's heavy. He's almost 12. Mm -hmm. And so being able to do that, not in his bed, because if I'm in his bed, I can lay down and I can like wiggle myself underneath him and hold him or just lay by him and snuggle by him. So there was a time like three weeks ago, I think it was where I went to go visit him and they wheeled him. Remember they're not perfect. And they wheeled him out to me and he was like crying. And well, that's because something's hurting him in his body and he needs to be in his bed. And so I was like, you know, can I snuggle with him in his bed? Can you wheel his bed out here? You know, can you wheel his bed into the visiting room? Because he, he needs to be out of his wheelchair. And so they did. And so I got to, um, I got to snuggle with him in his bed for the first time in a year. Oh my gosh. Then this is really, really special. So I, after that, I messaged 
a few people at St. Mary's and I was like, you know, I really enjoy being able to snuggle with him. And I was like, is there any way possible I can do that again? So long story short, in the visiting room, they used to have fabric couches. They took those out because of COVID because, you know, nobody knew how it was transmitted. And just recently, she called me to talk to me about getting a recliner that I can hold him in the visiting room. Mm. And she emailed me today and said that the recliner's all set up for our next visit. Yay. (laughs) A nurse has to help put him in my arms and then I'm kind of stuck there, you know. (laughs) Not a bad place to be stuck, right? No, it's not a bad place to be stuck unless there's an emergency. Right, 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 right. You know, so I'm looking forward to that. Because like I said, I'm very, I'm very touchy. Like I need to be able to hold my baby because he's always going to be my baby. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, he's like a newborn with a trach, you know, a newborn that a six weeks, six week old newborn that just smiled. Do you get it from him that he knows when you come? You know, that's a good question. Cause we don't know what he knows and what he doesn't, but I do know that like when he was in school and there would be times where they used seesaw and it has a function there where you can record things. And so there a couple times I would record a little message for him for during the school day. And when they played it, he was looking around. Oh, so I think he recognizes my voice. What I do know is that Silas recognizes and understands love. You cannot help but fall in love with Silas. You just can't. I mean, the things that people tell me, like they call him, they have little nicknames like Super Psy, Rockstar, Psy Psy, Marvelous Mr. Silas, you know, all these little sweet things. And, and it seems like every so often there's somebody at St. Mary's who spends a little bit of extra attention with him. Like there was one DSP, she, would, she may not be assigned to him, but she would go and read him extra books at bedtime you know, or, um, just different people throughout St. Mary's. They just like yesterday or two days ago when I went to St. Mary's, the rec therapy leader came and gave me something that, that Silas had made for me for mother's day. And I asked her how she was, how he was doing. And she said that she was really starting to see his personality come out and that he had a wonderful personality, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just little things and, and just little things that different people at St. Mary's will tell me or share with me or do for me, you know, those, those things are special. It's definitely been harder in COVID. Um, It's nice to know though, that they don't forget about you as his mom. Right. They make your role in this still important. And that's very, that's very important. To piggyback on that, he's getting a new wheelchair because he's growing out of the other one. And when I was there on Tuesday, he had gotten a new headrest and he does not have head control. Like if, if he doesn't, if he doesn't have something, either gravity or a strap, his head will fall down like this. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that because he's got a trach, right? And so um, they were trialing this new little headrest because they were going to get a new wheelchair. And um, I was not liking this headrest. And so I, I contacted the, I, I emailed the OT and I'm like, are you here in the building? I was like, can you come and talk to me? Because I'm, I have some questions. I have some concerns about this headrest. And so she came in and talked to me and I was like, she's like, everybody loves it. And I was like, well, is it supposed to do this? And I did this. And she's like, no. So she went and tried to fix that. And then she sat there for like 30 minutes trying to fix that headrest for him. And she couldn't get it quite right. And, and eventually she's like, you know what, but you're the one who matters. If you don't like it, we'll go back to the old one. So I really appreciated that, that she did that. Mm-hmm. But she was very deferring and she totally That's and completely good. respected what, you know, what I preferred. So I appreciated that. I, I'm just curious because 
there's so much stigma behind this, but did you have to give up custody to put him in an institution or how does that work? I am still his mother and his daddy is still his daddy. I, I cannot lose, I cannot move out of the state of Virginia. And if I, you know, in order to be able to still be able to make all those decisions, like, you know, I have bunches of meetings, just like at home, medical moms Mm -hmm. have bunches of meetings. You know, we still have bunches of meetings for school, for, um, doctor's appointments, for, um, for all kinds of things, you know, you have, they have, so like an IEP, they have kind of like an IEP for St. Mary. So I have, you know, we have those yearly, yearly plans to like how, for the best for Silas. And so I'm involved in all those decisions. I'm still his mom, but yes, there is a stigma, but you don't give up custody. You're now, not giving him to the state. Like no, that's I'm not, not what some parents have. And there are kids there that have been given over to the state. Yes. Mm-hmm. And life for them is much harder because they have to have a social worker that acts as their parent to okay. sign all of those things. And when that social worker changes, they may not be able to go to school because that social worker hasn't signed for them to go to school. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, whereas Silas has the consistent loving yes. support from his parents. Yes. Absolutely. And how does, if you don't have to answer this, but how does it work for payment? There's no payment. Medicaid pays for it. Because Silas is completely disabled. He cannot care for himself. Mm-hmm. And so the state pays for everything. Okay. I think I think we put a down payment of like forty dollars when we when we went into the facility. I don't even know or why you can't we get a hotel for that. <laughs> right, right, right. I have no idea what that forty dollars was for, but um, but yeah, no, everything's paid for. Are a lot of the children there severely disabled, or is does it range? It ranges. It absolutely ranges because you've got some kids there that that their body is broken, but their mind is intact, or vice versa. Their body's intact, but their mind is broken, and so they have all kinds of devices and all kinds of special equipment. They have a pool there with a ramp, like, you know, for a wheelchair Mm -hmm. or no, a lift. I think it's a lift. I can't remember, but Silas can't go in it because of his trach, Mm -hmm. which is stinky. But yeah, all different, all different varies. You've got kids that walk. And as a matter of fact, there's one wing where all the children are mobile. And then Silas's unit is the one unit that has the trachs. And I think that there's like eh, maybe eight trachs you know, and each unit has like maybe 22 kids on it. And so having a trach is not, I mean, lots of them have G-tubes, um, but some of them eat by mouth there, you know, so it just, it ranges all over the That's map. incredible. If you were talking to a mom who was considering this, if she feels like she's drowning, mm. I would imagine you'd say, don't feel guilty, but Absolutely. what, what should she do? Like, should she start talking to people? Should she start? Like, can you go and, I mean, prior to COVID, if people are listening and they think that I'm at this point, I'm not. But like, if I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have two medical kids in my house. Could I show up at St. Mary's and say, I need help? Like, what do people do? Prior to COVID, you can, yes. There's uh, a waiting list for it. Um, and there's not always an opening and the way that they structure the kids in the rooms, mm-hmm. like they want to put similarly disabled children together. So a child that maybe is walking may not have a spot as quick as another child. Does that make sense? Like yeah. there's just, or, or vice versa. Based off of the needs and yes. the availability. Yes. Yeah. Because there's certain laws where you have to have you have to have same sex in the same room. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so based on all of that, just because the child leaves doesn't mean the next person on the list can come in, that type of thing. Well, Jen, 
Um, I think this is a good place to ask you the question that we end every episode with. After all your grief and all your trauma and losing your boys in some way, shape, or form and keeping your family together, what gives you hope? That's a good question. You know, I hung on to hope when Silas was brain damaged. I hung on to hope that he wouldn't be a vegetable. You know, I hung on to hope that he would walk. I hung on to hope that he would talk. Somewhere along in my journey, my hope changed. It had to, because, because God values hope and hope is a beautiful thing. But I had to, I had to reckon what is, but yet at the same time still have hope for the future. So my, my hope changed from an outcome to who God is. So what gives me hope? I think that when I see God bring beauty from ashes, one thing that blesses me and fills me up is when I am able to help someone else traveling the same journey. When I can say, yes, I understand how you feel. When, um, when I see God, I have seen God do more work in Silas's disabled life than I have seen in, in his disabled life when he cannot walk and he cannot talk and he can't even hold his head. And the things that I see God do. So when I see God bring beauty from ashes, that gives me hope. When I see when friends that sit beside me, that is a beautiful thing. But I think the biggest thing is when I see God bring beauty from ashes. Because it's like it's like a mirror, you know? And it's like a shattered mirror. But at the same time, it's still beautiful and it still reflects beauty. But it's broken. We all are. Yes. Wow. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing your story. It will touch people and it will make a difference. And um, there is more beauty to come from these ashes. And that, that gives me hope. Okay, so two weeks back to back of um, Jen's story. And it's such a loaded, massive story that we couldn't fit it into one week. There was no way. There's no way. And it's so complex. It's, you know, I think both of the, there are two very separate things in there. I There's have like to say. more than two. There's like 500. There, you're right. There totally is. <laughs> I cannot even find words to describe like how brave that woman is to come out and share that story because the layers and layers of feelings and trauma and grief and support, I mean, how do you even find words to describe what she went through and what she's currently experiencing with Silas? I mean, and I just keep thinking in the back of my head, like, and she, she lost, in some ways she lost both of her children. Yeah. But talking to moms that we know in past episodes who have lost their kids, it doesn't go away. I mean, we talked to Elizabeth who was seven years out and she still, you know, is processing and grieving and, and Jen here is taking care of a severely complex medical kid 
and still grieving the loss of her other child. I just, there were so many layers and I think the world of her for continuing to keep her faith and keep going and absolutely be an amazing mom. Absolutely. And I just loved the gratitude that she showed toward. I think it, I think it showed like how much support, not just surface level support, not just, oh, I have the support of friends and family, but like there is so much support in this world or there can be that you don't see. And these decisions that are just excruciating, but come with that just deep joy and gratitude. It's just, there's, it was just really a beautiful story. It was. And I'm, I'm thankful she was on the show. Um, so this is Susan and I'm going to go pop some popcorn. Mm, That sounds good. Get like the half kernels. Those are my fave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Diane, and I am going to go get Sayla off the bus. Again. That's what you do every time. I know. Think of well, something else. <laughs> well, but that's what I have to actually do next, and then make lunch, and then go to therapy. That's okay. life on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye, Wednesday. guys. Bye. Whatever day it is. <laughs> Bye. Hey, real quick, this is Suze just reminding you that if you are new here, we have a When Autumn Comes Society on Facebook. It's a private group where you can talk about medical mom life or, yeah, Benji, Benji's here with me, by the way, or you can talk about things like what you want for Christmas and share links so that other cool moms like us have ideas to share with our husbands. Um, it's also open to husbands. You are welcome to join too. And then you can see the list that what we really want, it'll all be there. It's a great group. Join us. Thanks for being here. Bye.